the rule of thumb was, yeah, 250 a door. <laughs> I'm seeing stuff upwards of 2,000 a door, right? Depending on, on if it's in Florida, Texas, but it varies. But that's out the door. You know, you're paying based on square footage. And it's not just rentable square footage, it's gross square footage. So if you have a 4,000 square foot clubhouse and pools and ancillary buildings and all these things that are not rentable, you know, you still have to pay for it. So, you know, looking at square footage, and then you have to look at what is the cost to repair? What is the cost to rebuild? And we know that labor material has gone up and, you know, what may have a cost $80, $85, maybe $100 a square foot to replace is now $150, $175, $200. I'd seen stuff for $350. And there's engineering software that's out there. And even when you get your appraisal done, it kind of gives you an idea on what the cost is to rebuild. Welcome to the Lion's Den, the real estate podcast for perspicacious investors who know they have the strength to succeed in the lucrative commercial multifamily industry. Be an expert advice on your way to becoming a top performer. I'm your host, Adam Parrish. I have my three co-hosts, Nala Callahan, Lisa Parrish, and Theo Mosley. How are you three doing today? Great to be here. Thanks. The obstacle of today's episode is what risks and strategies should I be aware of with multifamily insurance? And with us to discuss this crucial topic today, we bring on a special guest. He is a highly accomplished insurance advisor and risk management consultant with over 25 years of experience in delivering impactful solutions to his clients, working for several of the largest global insurance brokerages, including Marsh McLennan, NFP, and Hub International, before starting Avellino Management Group, an insurance consulting and outsourcing risk management firm that specializes in providing advice, functional risk management, and claim management services. Essentially, he's the dedicated risk manager on behalf of the investor, sponsor, and general partner group. With his vast experience and expertise in insurance and risk management in the context of multifamily properties, we are pleased to welcome Nico Ionelli. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Nico. Uh, thank you for having me. It's, yeah. been, it's been a pleasure. And for the word of the day, what is the word of the day, Nico? Oh, uh, the word of the day is impact. Matter of fact, I even have it on my bracelet. So impact, it's the connection between our lives and the lives that we can change. So that's when I wake up to every morning. I got this at a speaking engagement probably about seven years ago. And I wear it every single day. That's my that's my drive. That's my word of the day every day. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I think that's actually a goal of all of ours as well as we want this podcast to make an impact on all the people who want to get into this business and anyone we can help. It, it feels so good, you know, just being able to give it back and share, right? We want people to not go through some of the mistakes and challenges that we went through. So we want to be able to share and give them. And, you know, I know Lisa, you're with me and, and Adam that, you know, we feel better seeing other people succeed and grow. And that's what we're here for. Definitely. Sure. And for the first question I want to ask today for Nico, what does the process of working with an insurance broker typically look like on a multifamily deal? There, there's your typical broker and then there's dealing with me. Lisa has been, has been spoiled. So I've been fortunate enough to work with, with, with Lisa for 15 years, right? And, you know, going through starting out in the business and, and growing and then doing the larger firms. 
And typically, you know, when it comes to commercial real estate, you want to find your, your risk advisor, your insurance advisor that you have a good relationship with. You know, that broker is essentially should be going out to the markets for you to the different carriers to see who has capacity, negotiate the rates for you, and then present it. I mean, ultimately, you're going to be able to come down and choose it. But so often, you know, everybody, you know, we see on, on commercials, you know, you know, 15 minutes or more, three minutes or more, we're able to save 10, 15%. Listen, commercial insurance is not your auto and home. It's a totally different game, right? So you need somebody who really understands your business model uh, to be able to present it. A lot of times, a lot of these properties I know from past, of, you know, that we are looking at, they're in emerging markets. They are, you know, mismanaged and, you know, it needs a little, it needs a lot of loving care. So, you know, we want to be able to look at the past, you know, the history on the property, but we also want to share with the underwriters as far as what our business plan is and present that to help offset some of the risk and hopefully, you know, reduce some of the costs. But, you know, you really want to work with somebody that is going to understand your business and go out for you. I mean, over the years, last 20 years, I mean, I see different things. I mean, there's folks down in Texas that they're telling their, their, clients reduce your deductible because we're going into hail season so we can get a new roof folks this is why rates are going up five times in texas because there's not enough capacity these companies are folding left and right because there's not enough money so you know you need to be able somebody to really understand what your business model is as well as to make sure that you know you know what the total cost of insurance is it's not just what your premiums are but you need to know what your deductibles are what risk mitigation that you need to do? You know, are we looking at this property that we need to do remediation for aluminum wiring? Are the roofs old that need to get done? Are there trees? These are all the things that we have to take into account for total risk. So, you know, when you look for somebody, it's not all about price. Listen, price we know is a big concern for all our clients, you know, but it's what the total cost is going to be either at the beginning or at the end. And, you know, Lisa, we could share a story later on on why it's important because you know you're gonna pay one way or another but you need somebody that, that you can grow with that you can trust and that's why i kind of make them made the move and i'm just working on behalf of my clients and i get to negotiate with the brokers and making sure we have the right coverages in place but you want to find somebody that you know you can work alongside and you know they're they're working on your behalf and going out there and i explain everything to you that's great practical info Good. It's going to be somebody that you really trust too. And, you know, so we started working together. Nico, um, he came to my first property, that first 23 unit complex that I was talking about in Monroe, North Carolina. And he met me out there. I think we had like State Farm or something like that before. And he met me out there and started educating me on insurance. And I was like, oh, wow, I had no idea. No idea. I mean, because all I knew was, you know, the, the like the Geico commercial or whatever, you know, you, those are the things that you see, but you don't realize the big difference between like you're talking about other kinds of insurance and then commercial multifamily, especially when you get into bigger units. Um, but yeah, he came out there and met me and then I, I haven't had to think about, I've been spoiled. Spoiled is the right word. For 15 years, I haven't had to think about insurance. So I really don't actually know all that much about insurance because I would just go, I don't know. Let me call Nico. <laughs> so everything even if, that I even know. Even if there's a fire right before Christmas too. That's the story. Oh God. <laughs> when we're ready, we're going to tell that story. Oh, I've heard a lot of fire stories recently. 
hey, it's Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas Eve, and you go Christmas shopping for what you, for your kids. What are you doing? You're going through a burning building. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, should I tell the story? Yeah, or, or, don't, or Adam, Adam's going to ask us. Yeah, go right into the story. 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 Okay. All right. So um, these are some ex-partners of ours, not Rand and Tyler, that it was really kind of their decision on what to do with insurance. And insurance rates have been going up year after year. Um, actually, every time we go to do a deal, insurance rates are going and up. This was, so, and this was several years ago, too. This was 2017 or 18, something like that. And so we're buying a property and the rates came in higher than we expected. And so we we're kind of in trouble on, you know, trying to figure out because we were going to lose loan proceeds. If your rates come in too high, you can lose loan proceeds. And so my partners kind of freaked out and we had a conversation. Really, they had this conversation with Nika. I was listening to it and they wanted to go, they wanted to reduce. Maybe I, tell me if I get this wrong, Nico, but they wanted to go with the lowest amount that they the lenders a lot of times will allow you to um, to insure for a lesser amount per square foot, but it's not actually realistic for replacement cost. So they wanted to go with what the lender had had um, allowed, and Nico said, "You're I don't remember how how off it was, but it was quite." Oh, a bit. I remember. I remember. Okay, then you can you can <laughs> fill in fill in all the details, but but the point I wanted to tell, and then Nico will fill in the details, is. They listened a little bit. They did raise the amount, but they did not listen to you. And we closed on that deal. And three days after closing, a whole building broke down, 16 units. And it was a few days before Christmas. So just to add on top of everything, because it's hard to get anybody to do anything right around Christmas. This was in Columbia, South Carolina. And Nico lives in, in North Carolina. And as soon as it happened, um, I got on the phone with Nico and he, he was last, I don't know if you do this every year, but he was last minute Christmas shopping for his kids. I do it every year. You did every year. Okay. So it was only a few days before and he dropped everything and took a trip out to South Carolina and spent, I don't know how long he spent out there, but at least a full day out there evaluating everything, making sure that we had the, you know, safety because we didn't want to end up with additional problems and additional lawsuits on top of everything. We had to make sure that everything was safe, get the, you know, a, a fence around the whole building to make sure that nobody could go into it and all these different things. But if you want to explain like kind of more what happened, but my, the, my real point of the story is that, so I knew that I trusted Nico and I knew that Nico has been my advisor for, for years and years. Um, they hadn't worked with you before and didn't have that trust and didn't believe that you were, had our best interest, I guess, or they were just being cheap. But you don't want to be cheap when it comes to insurance because we ended up getting quotes on um, how to, you know, on rebuilding that building and the cheapest people that we could find. And we did a lot of quotes. And I mean, when you're doing the cheapest, that doesn't mean the best, right? Um, was $1.2 million short of what we had, what we were getting from the insurance company. And that was because we didn't, we didn't insure the building enough. And I still, I mean, it was probably $2 million short of what we really should have been uh, I've gotten you want to elaborate on that story or yeah so so here's the thing right so as far as when you purchase the insurance you know there's a, a couple of different factors right so you have your property your property you're going to pay based on square footage you know the older properties are more at risk we're also looking at the history you have the head fires things like that uh, the property, are there shootings? Is it a high crime area? These are all different factors that, that go, go into play as well as, you know, the geographic region that, that it's at. 
So we had a property that, you know, had a very rough history on it. So, but it was still, it needed a lot of love and care, but it was a good opportunity. But, you know, going through, you know, the rates, looking again at the total cost, taking into account. So it came in higher. Now, the amount of insurance you get is based upon, and I know Lisa did a plug earlier in the week, you know, 15 years ago, the rule of thumb was, yeah, 250 a door. I'm seeing stuff upwards to 2000 a door, right? Depending on if it's in Florida, Texas, but it varies, but that's out the door. You know, you're paying based on square footage and it's not just rentable square footage, it's gross square footage. So if you have a 4,000 square foot clubhouse and pools and ancillary buildings and all these things that are not rentable, you know, you still have to pay for it. So, you know, looking at square footage, then you have to look at what is the cost to repair? What is the cost to rebuild? And we know that labor material has gone up and, you know, what may have cost $80, $85, maybe $100 a square foot to replace is now $150, $175, $200. I've seen stuff for $350. And there's engineering software that's out there. And even when you get your appraisal done, it kind of gives you an idea on what the cost is to rebuild. So that kind of gives you an idea. And based upon that, is it gets you know, lets you know as far as how much insurance you need. Now, on the flip side, the lender also comes back. And this is where, especially in Texas and Florida right now, where people are losing properties and, you know, because rates going up and interest rates, you know, there's some pushback on the lenders. And we've done this many times over the years is that the lender is going to kind of set, tell you, this is what you need. You need to insure for this value and your deductible can only be this low. And we need this, we need that. And sometimes they want to over-insure the property, which, you know, we don't want to over-insure. We want to make sure that we're at least brought whole, you know? So right now, uh, with a lot of markets, there's a lot of pushback for the lenders to kind of get up to speed. And it's not so much just, just to bring the rates down, because understandably, you know, like Fannie and Freddie, okay? If it's an agency loan, small business, you know, they're going to have a minimum deductible of 25 or 50,000. If it's a small property, if it's your first, all right, it might be higher than we might have on your home. But, you know, when you start looking at larger portfolios, we're starting at 250,000, a million dollars that we're self-insuring, right? So, you know, you're kind of taking, taking that part on. So the property, you know, again, going back to replacement costs, we did the evaluation on the property. We looked at the appraisal. And at that time, it was about $95, say, a square foot to replace the buildings, which would have gave us enough that, God forbid, if something happened, the building burnt down, we would have had enough money. Well, the two unnamed partners thought that they knew better, and they were new in the business. They had a lot of money, but they were new. They thought that they can rebuild it for $55 a square foot. <laughs> and they would compare it to a mobile home. And we had, I don't know, we had what? 300 units at this property or something. So we tried to explain it. We showed everything. And even the lender was saying, hey, like it needs to be a lot more, like it's not doable. And when you go out to the insurance markets and to the carriers, like they have an idea on, you know, what the replacement cost is going to be because a lot of these properties and your lender is not going to want the depreciated or the active cash value. They want to make sure that there's enough money if something happens that we can be at that spot and bring property whole. So the, the, 
they kept going back and forth, back and forth. And I think they decided from $55, they, 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 we got them to go to 75 or 72. And I was like, it's not enough. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll self-insure for the difference. And I had to cover myself. So I made sure I had everything documented that we presented it. That's not what I recommend. Like, cause you're on the hook for at that time, it would have been $350,000. And then, you know, we got run into delays and everything else. And then it's not just a, a 1.2 million that they're short, but it's not my fault because it's not what I recommended because again, having the right partners when they say, yeah, don't worry about it. Like we're okay. We're self-insuring one. You need to make sure the capital is available. Right? So, you know, if you got, if there's not that much money in the bank and you're self-insuring for a million dollars, like you need to make sure that the money is there. So they decided to go for 70 something dollars square foot. We get everything signed. Lease is like, I don't know, but they said they had the money. I don't feel comfortable, but like, I have to, like, I have to go with the partners on it. Okay. It's your property. You know, you're on the hook for 350,000, whatever it is at a minimum. Understand that also we had to convince the lender, uh, to go with it, which they signed off on it because the money was supposed to be available. Right. If something were to happen three days after we purchased the property, Lisa calls me in the middle of the night. There's a flyer. Yes, it was a couple of days before Christmas. Like, yes, I do wait till the last minute. So, you know, I mean, we've already been doing business for years and the property was about an hour and a half, two hours away from me. So I just jumped in the car, went down there. Thankfully, all the residents were safe. They were able to get out of the building. And, you know, and we learned that, you know, you can't fix stupid. You know, we, we can, we can, we can educate um, our residents as much as we can. You know, we want yeah, them to feel like they're home, to take pride in the communities that they live in, but you can't fix stupid. You know, if somebody's sleeping with a joint, like, and burns the couch, like, we can't stop that. I mean, it happens. So, but thankfully everybody was okay, but here I am, you know, three days before Christmas, walking through, there's a burnt building and the insurance company, you know, they came out, they did the adjust, the adjust was wrapped there right away, got all that. And when they went in and saw the damage and they did the, the assessment, like, they just cut the check for, I don't know, the 1.3 million, whatever it was, and says, that's it, we're done. The, the, we know it's gonna cost you a lot more to rebuild, and we had all the specs from the engineers, but like, this is all, this is, this is all we had. And the partners, again, knowing more than everybody else in the world, they said that they were gonna go back and negotiate with the insurance company that they should get more. I'm sorry, but when you purchase it, right, everybody has to do their due diligence. And you know, you get the insurance and they, the insurance carriers do go out to inspect the properties afterwards. Some of them do it before. One, we want to make sure we're insuring what we're insuring. The building is there. It's wood frame. How many units? If you, says, if you say it has sprinklers and they go there, it doesn't. Your rates are going to go up. But they thought that they can go to the, the carrier and, you know, we're going to get more money from them. Yeah. We went through it. This is what you purchased. This is what you signed off on against all recommendations. And, you know, doing this for 20 years and I'm sorry, you can have a couple million dollars in the bank, but like, if you don't know what you're doing, this is why you have to have and the how, right how did, members. How did, they, how did they reward you? They fired you. So they decided to go. Yeah. So they, they got another broker, uh, that they, uh, here's my new yeah. word that I learned from folks up North hoodwink. 
So, you know, they, they kind of told them what they wanted to hear and, and they moved everything. And, you know, again, having the right broker is almost like having the right partner, right? So if your broker's telling you like lower your deductible so you can go get a new roof on, you know, a $20 million property, it's going to impact you. You know, if they're telling you, well, you don't have to insure all the buildings, you know, we should insure for 20 million, but you only need five. I'm sorry, but how do you pick and choose what building's going to catch on fire or something happens, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's one, of, one of those things. It was, it's tough learning that some relationships can go sideways and some of the things to look for. Again, it's like kind of like dating. You know, everything can be good up front at the beginning and until it might be too late, might be married. We have to remember, like I was oh in a different gosh. situation in that particular deal. They, you know, it was all their investors and it was different. But, you know, typically when we're doing the deal and we're the general partners and we're out there raising money or, you know, even if you're not the one raising money, but you are responsible as a general partner. Um, you have to understand that we are responsible for protecting our investors' money. And we have to do everything, you know, within our power to be able to do that. And insurance is one of those ways that we protect our, our investors' money. Because if we don't, if we don't listen to our, you know, expert consultants and we don't take the advice and we don't, and we don't insure for the right amount, and then we're out a bunch of money, guess who, who loses their money? Investors lose their money. We may have to do a capital call. They might have to put in more money. That's irresponsible on the general partner. And that's something that, I mean, I kind of knew that at the time that I was going through it. So, so you're right. We have to, you have to choose the right partners because if your partners don't care about that kind of thing, you know, it put us in a bad fiduciary spot as well. So, you know, everyone needs to you know, be responsible, making sure that we're not over-insuring or under-insuring. It's, it's so important. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't want to over-insure, right? Especially now. I mean, again, price is a concern for everybody. So you don't want to pay more, but you want to make sure you have the right stuff in place. Uh, you know, right now, I mean, we've been seeing year over year, you know, it's, we're on, I don't know, 28 quarters now that rates have been going up. I mean, they've been up probably about, you know, in some markets, at least 20%. Uh, there's others like, again, Texas and Florida, where it's five times. Uh, it's insane. It's just a matter of capacity and what's there. But you got to look at, you know, a couple of things that have been going into play. You know, one is every time we had a catastrophic loss, catastrophic are these hurricanes, these ice storms that are coming through, tornadoes, I know Donato had a tornado warning earlier. You know, these losses, if we look at the last five years, 10 years, even going back further, every time there's something catastrophic that happens, there are billion dollar plus losses. So all the insurance companies, like you're, you're, you're paying your premium dollars and they're all going in. Some of them have like a big pool. Now, if something happens, you know, they can pull from, and keep in mind, the insurance companies get what's called reinsurance. So that way, when they have their, their, they have their say their slap gap, they have something to pull from. And, you know, storms again, a billion dollars. When we look at the freeze that happened in Texas last year or the year before, I think the year before, I don't know how many billions it cost. You know, these things all go into effect. You know, the, the, the rates have been going up, the property rates, uh, especially with older properties, because it, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. You know, it can happen three days after you purchase a property. It can be right before, uh, you know, you held on to it for a couple of years. And, you know, something's going to happen. And, you know, we try to minimize as much of the risk we can. But 
stuff's going to happen. You know, that was my first loss in all those well, years. That was my first. Well, it was my first one, so it's never going to be another first. <laughs> it, it's not my last, I'm sure, but that was my first one. And so I went 10 something years without a, a loss. So that's, I mean, it can, t- it can take a long time for it to happen, but you just always have to be, it's better to be safe than sorry. I guess it's like cliche, but it's true. Yeah, and then we look at the history of this property, right? There was a there was one property that you know a building burnt down every year for the last five years. <laughs> so it's kind of gives you, it kind of gives you an idea, like, hey, like, this might not be ideal property because like you, you might not even be able to to insure it. But the way that the the rates have have been going up too, you know, there there's again push for increasing the deductibles on what you want to self insure. Again, if you have the capital, that's great. Okay. And you got to be able to get the lender sign off on it. But, like, hey, if you need to raise your deductibles 100, 250,000 on a larger portfolio, you know, if you have the funds available, then you can do it. Nobody wants to pay it, but like, understandably, you know, in, in some markets, you know, we'll look into that there's different deductibles for wind or hail or a named storm. And it's, you know, again, that's what it is. So like a hurricane is named. So you can have a different deductible on it. And those are all things just to, to keep, keep in mind. Nico. When you, one thing you said that I wasn't surprised about in this, you know, the podcast is geared towards newer people in multifamily is you said that they were new and that they had money. And I think that's one thing as, you know, we talk to newer people that get that are getting into the business that I really really try to stress to people whether they listen or not is a whole nother story but people seem to think that if you succeeded in some other business that you can like uh, minimize out the sponsor's cut and you can figure it out on your own because you figured out this business over here and a lot of the deals that I've seen lost last year there was a few deals lost um whether even if you're a contractor, you know, even if you are a plumber or a roofer and you get into this business, I just I feel like people shouldn't assume like you got to come in going, OK, I'm going to listen to the sponsor. I'm going to find someone like Lisa that knows what they're doing. They know how to transition an asset. They have professionals like Nico rather than I'm going to come in. I'm a business person. I'm savvy. And I'm going to minimize out everybody, their cuts and everything like that, because I know what I'm doing. And so many deals that we don't talk about are lost for that very reason. It's it's when you're going into something new, you have to have humility. You know, no matter how smart you are, you got to learn from people that are already doing this particular business. I totally agree because they were successful in whatever they were coming from. So and yeah. they thought they knew it. And I don't even, you know, I don't, I say all the time, I don't know, but I, I do know usually who to go to get the answers from. Or to not go. I was hoping <laughs> was te- technical challenges today. Keeps doing updates. Yeah. Is it Mercury and retrograde today or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. Communication <laughs> problems. Who knows? But yeah, I really no. appreciate mentioning that because. That's something I hear all the time, especially if people have real estate experience. You know, we have partners on our, like, Brett flipped houses. He does that. He didn't act like coming into this, like, oh, I know what's up. I flipped houses. You know, it's like, no, let's find some mentors here that can teach us. 
how to actually do this aspect of real estate. And the market's constantly changing too. I mean, keep, keep in mind, I mean, how it was last year, two years, five years ago, it's not the same as it is today. It's a little bit different, right? And there's definitely some value that can be brought in from having other successful businesses and things like that. But right. the big thing is like, is the members on, on the team, like everybody is an, an asset. They're able to get, provide something, right? On, on the whole thing. Like Lisa comes to me, even if we're using a different broker on it, but just for having that perspective on, you know, how do we were able to minimize our risk on it and be able to push back and negotiate, whether it's with the lender or the broker that, that's there. And if somebody's savvy in business, they might have a better understanding, but they might not see even in their own business today, outside of real estate, that how the markets are affecting it, that the costs are going up, whether if they have cyber insurance or liability, things like that, you know, those are all different things that are going up. So they might not be involved in that piece. And also understanding that, you know, we're talking netty, it's apples and oranges. Multifamily is a totally separate market, especially when we're looking at BC, we'll call them tender loving care properties or in need of. Right. I have a question for you from new, like new people's points of view. Okay. So what is your opinion on people picking multiple states? Like when you're just, just starting out and you don't know the business at all, not like, you know, kind of a year in or having some experience and learning from other people. What is your opinion on new people just starting out picking multiple states to look for properties? Do you think that's a good idea? For each their own. I think that whatever market that they pick, you know, one, why are you picking it? You know, you know, what's the connection where you are going to be able to dive in. And we know sometimes if you spread yourself too broad, like you can't, it's too much. You can't do it. You know, everybody wants to go to North Carolina. Everybody wants to go to Texas. Everybody wants to go to Florida, you know, the, 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 the hot spots. but the hot spots, by the time you get there, like you're past the curve. I mean, Lisa knows, I mean, we were into properties for a couple of years which was emerging and all of a sudden now you start seeing these big investors coming in and that's when you know it's all right it's we got in at the right time right so we got in before and i think that was up in hickory north carolina um and that was great and then you start seeing the big institutional investors we were were the first years later hickory we were the first ones in and then like a year later everyone everyone started coming in but you want to be able to first in arlington I know for sure. It, but you want to be able to, you know, be able to either have somebody that's boots on the ground, somebody that you can trust that's there. You know, it's okay that if you have properties in multiple states, uh, you know, if you have a good property manager or, you know, whoever your risk manager, somebody that is able to get eyes on to make sure that the property is being maintained, the tenants are compliant on everything that, you know, they're taking care of it. Right. And because we have a fiduciary responsibility for, uh, our investors. And like Lisa was mentioned earlier, listen, insurance, everything's about just like the building, All right? Listen, we have a bucket of money. If the building burns down, you know, we, there's so much money we have for it, but all these properties we're all looking at from, for cash flow. That's how we're underwriting it. That's how the lenders are looking at it. And if you lose 16, 24, a hundred units because they're down because of a fire. You got a loss of revenue coming in. You still got your notes. You still have your expenses. What do you do? And business interruption is a big piece of the insurance, but nobody talks about it. Well, you know, a lot right? of people see 
and I, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt you, but just to add to that really quick, a lot of new new people think um, that well, we'll just make sure that we get the you know we're, that the insurance company is going to reimburse us for the loss of rents. But what I learned during that circumstance was we had just taken over this typical tip. Well, maybe I'm wrong, but this was what I learned, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong. But when you're taking over a property, a lot of the properties that we take over, it's because of bad management. And so they might have an occupancy issue. So when we took this property over, I definitely had an occupancy issue. And that 16-unit building that burned down was not highly occupied. It didn't have 16 tenants in it. It had maybe five or seven. I don't know. But eight. several. Eight? Okay, so you can remember. I think I blocked it all out. But it was about, yeah, 50% occupied. So the insurance company is not going to reimburse you for money that's never has never come in. They're looking at the previous rent rolls. So we did get some money for a rent, but it's not for the full amount because we didn't have the opportunity to be able to actually ever rent it out, lease it out. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, there's a couple of things I'm working on, on now, you know, where, you know, we run into, we're looking at the occupancy, but, you know, on a property that client purchased, and again, track history of go in, acquire in the first 30, 60, 90 days, this is what we're doing. It's turnover units. So even though we might have a couple of units down, we're able to turn them around quickly and, you know, bring them up to market, right? And this is the loss of revenue that's coming in. But the whole thing for insurance is to indemnify you. And what does indemnify mean? It's just to bring you whole. It's to bring you back to the position before you had a loss. So if your occupancy on that building, say, is 50%, that, you know, the loss of revenue you had was 50%. So at least, you know, part of the insurance will cover that business interruption that you had. Now, also keep in mind that just say, you know, we were fully occupied, you know, we're 16 units, but we have 50 units that are still empty, you know, with those 16 units, we can place into another unit. So, you know, we can do it. So it's really not a loss of revenue. I mean, we, the, the residents displace and put them into another, but those are all things to keep in mind, you know, especially when you're underwriting any cash flow. And, you know, the lenders, some of them are, are more sticklers than others, but you, know, you look at their requirements. A lot of times it's one, it's things to them, but it's also to safeguard you and your investors to make sure you have the right insurance in place. And Lisa can tell you, there's many times I pushed back with the lenders because what they wanted was way more, wasn't, wasn't reasonable. And, you know, we pushed down and there's times where lenders aren't, they just want to cover their, their loan. So if you have a, you know, a $30 million property, but you know, it's only for, let's say 18 million, they're good with 18 million, but I'm sorry, but you still have to know, you know, it's $35 million that you have invested in there. Like you can't like not insure the rest of it right yeah and fia my opinion on what you had said earlier um about you know newbies going to a bunch of different markets i think that you know my opinion on that is it's pretty complicated when you're starting out and you're going into different markets because it takes a long time to learn that market and to have the, the um the relationships that you need you know contractors and yeah. staff and all the different relationships that you need in, in each market so that's why we did slowly we were in North Carolina for a long time then South Carolina then Texas and but in an insurance standpoint though when you get bigger and you have a lot of units and you have and you're spreading your risk to different markets I think that is a good thing right Nico because if there's a hurricane in one area you're not wiping out your entire okay. portfolio 
So I think in you know in in the long run when it, when you have more units, it makes more sense, especially if you're big enough. And I don't remember how many units you know, but many many thousands of units. I think Ryan and Tyler are doing this now, where you can actually have one like umbrella or blanket insurance over all your properties, um, and then it's going to look less risky if you're not all in one market. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's just diversifying your portfolio because you know I spoke to them for several years about it before. But, you know, when you're looking at this, especially with, with the larger investor groups that that we're dealing with, you know, they have a diversified portfolio. They'll have, you know, there is some B properties, maybe a couple C, you know, there might be some A properties in there, but they're spread out, right? So if all your properties are all concentrated in a high risk area, like the say Texas, or you're in Florida on the coast, it's going to be a lot more than, hey, we have a portfolio in Arkansas, Tennessee, Arizona. Uh, I mean, there's there's folks that rent everywhere, multifamily everywhere. Um, but so if you have a, a portfolio that has been performing well, they're newer or they're updated. Hey, listen, you can have a building that was built in 1890, but it was totally gutted in rehab in the last 10 years and, you know, uh, elevators, sprinklers, all that stuff that's in there. They're looking for the updates, right? So, but, you know, be able to diversify that. And then you can be able to share and show and hopefully it weighs out. So, you know, typically we know like Texas, the rates will be higher than the say, I don't want to say Arkansas because we have issues with tornadoes, but there, there's other, other areas where. Arizona. Well, Arizona. Yeah. There's fires, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not crazy. like anything crazy. Nothing major oh. really happens in Arizona. Oh, California. Oh, weird monsoon oh, stuff. Yeah. Like when we came to visit, I was like, what the hell is this weather and landscaping? It's so weird. But, it was but it's like very... boiling hot and then pouring and lightning everywhere. But I believe it's pretty low risk, though, as far as damage. Like, I don't remember ever having a, any kind of damage here. And I've lived here my whole yeah. life. So Arizona. Again, knock on wood. Yeah. Now all in our so start in that one spot, and then as you're growing your portfolio, you should diversify just like anything else, should. but really get to know an yeah. area and taxes build, and insurance build a and for, Build else. a portfolio in that particular area, and then once you're you know solid there, then move to the next market. That's, I, that's how we did it. That's what I think makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you, you do need due diligence. I mean, you're doing your research on all the areas, right? On the property and the areas around it, right? To see when you're doing your underwriting. And the same thing goes with, with, the, with the markets. And you want to be able to kind of gauge on where things are going to go. And I mean, right now, you know, like markets like Texas, it's going to be in turmoil for quite a bit because, you know, especially in Houston, um, because it's a lot of older properties, there's been a lot of acquisitions last couple of years, and you know we're dealing with issues like rates going up, especially on these bridge loans that you know everything's getting adjusted, and insurance rates, and you know folks are walking away from properties because this can't be, it doesn't make sense underwriting it. You know, yeah. you know we got you know a couple of years ago, and I was ahead of the curve and say, hey, yeah, this is what I see happening in the next six months, and sure enough, like rates jumped up to there. And we were kind of getting prepared for it. We're like, no, we're going to go. But sure enough, when we got stuff back from the markets, we made the adjustments. And there's, you know, there's also some like carriers that are out there or programs that are available that everybody was going to because they had lower rates than everybody else. Well, what happened last May or the year before? They went belly up, right? 
they, they, they couldn't collect enough premiums to pay out for all the losses. So now we had thousands of properties, portfolios in Texas that everybody had to go find new insurance in 60 days. So what happened? Supply and demand. One, very hard enough properties to insure. And there's only a handful or two companies that would even maybe even consider it. And that made rates go up. And what happens? We had more losses, more losses. So, you know, and rates keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And the lenders are like, no, we're in Texas on the coast, but we only want a $25,000 deductible. I'm sorry, but it's not even available. Like, you know, your wind coverage, you're probably looking at self-insurance for at least 100000 So it's the lenders have to do their part uh, and kind of get practical, realistic with the market on what's available for it. And I think collectively, you know, us as, you know, with the property managers and looking at the risks on this whole thing on, you know, what are we, you know, what's the total cost of insurance? What are we willing to self-insure? What are we doing? The lenders need to get an insurance advisor because a lot of times it seems like they don't actually keep up with what's going on. They just, they have this, you know, this is our policy, but as the market's changing, they're not adjusting with what's going on with the market. So you had to educate them many times. Yeah, and there's things that we run into because sometimes, you know, these lenders are, you know, they're securitizing their, their mortgage portfolios, right? So part of their security uh, agreements is they need to have certain requirements that are on there. And we had to push back with, with you know, their, their consultants that are on it. But when, you know, you know, as far as when it comes to securities and stuff like that, it has to kind of be a certain thing. So, you know, it's going to be the investors going back to, sorry, the lenders going back to their board. And with the securitization of these, let's say these mortgage-backed securities on, it's got to get adjusted because it just, it's not doable. Yeah, Did someone, hold on. Did someone mention market research? Could have yes. sworn I heard Do, someone talk about market research. Market research all the time. Speaking of market research. <laughs> wow, that was smooth, Adam. Easy to Wait. use. Market research tool with all the necessary data in one place. It's like a well-organized toolbox for property buyers. It helps them quickly identify the key insights and trends that matter without being overwhelmed by too much information. With all the necessary information at their fingertip, property buyers can make informed decisions quickly and confidently, avoiding analysis paralysis and focusing on identifying the right property investment to meet their goals. Introducing Bright Investor, the ultimate market research tool. Bright Investor visualizes data trusted by thousands of investors who want to know what's happening in real estate markets. Proven data from trusted sources such as Adam Data, Rentometer, Rhymometer, MassVisor, U.S. Census Bureau, and more, all in one place so that you save time and money. Don't be a dim investor left in the dark, struggling to navigate the tumultuous landscape of multifamily real estate without the proper apparatus of market due diligence. Become the bright, market-savvy investor you're destined to be today with Bright Investor and use code A&E for 10% off at checkout. Oh, man, hey, Adam, we have what, a competition. What, Adam, Adam, what's that code again? The code is Uh-oh. A&E, 10% A-N-E. off at checkout. Or AMF. We're, we're all in competition. We all have our own code. Those codes don't work. Don't listen to them. But yeah, <laughs> I like I'm angry faces on all of his posts. It's it's inside joke. But you know, I feel I feel very very privileged. And Otto and some other partners started Bright Investor, and it, we've kind of looked through it, and it looks very easy to use. And I know the amount of time that he's put into researching cities and 
all the research he does around just an apartment complex. It's every single time he puts so much time into it. So it's a great tool. And like I always say, a lot of multifamily tools are $2,000 a month. This is like $49 to $100 a month, probably not forever because I have a feeling, you know, it's going to really, really be a big thing, really good and a good price for sure. I know that. I mean, it's too many market research that you need. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask Nico, you another question. Like what, what are the most common types of insurance you usually get on a multifamily property? So, you know, typically, I mean, the first thing is, you know, let's say the first bucket is property, right? So your property insurance, which is to cover the building, or if you put the building upside down, everything that falls out that we own, you know, the clubhouse, things that we own, the office, things like that. So that's your property coverage. And even with that, there's coverage for, you know, all risks, which covers all claims. We run into wind and hail, hurricane, uh, which might have different deductibles on there, earthquake, uh, and believe it or not, yeah. it's not just limited to California. I mean, there's, you know, South Carolina, there's Arkansas, there's a few other places where run ran into, you know, I think that it's required flood insurance. I think every property needs flood insurance, but some of them are definitely in a flood zone. Your lender's going to require it, but we see all too often on even like two inches of rain on what damage can occur. And I know you mentioned about Arizona, right? Like the landscape is different with all the rocks and the rocks allows for drainage. But again, if it's compacted underneath and it doesn't allow the water to actually go down, you know, you're going to get water. We have flooding. We, we definitely have flooding. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. it's so the mountains too. That adds to it. Yeah. And there, there's stuff to mitigate. You know, I did it at the house. There, there are these like honeycomb things that go under and they use them in the football stadiums, which, you know, you fill up with gravel and you put sod or even more rock on top but allows the water to go down and drains. And you know, if you're running into issues in your parking lot uh, that are there, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great product. I don't remember the name and I don't have a discount code for it, um, but it, it was pretty <laughs> cool because you can drive a tractor trailer on these things, but it's, it's pretty amazing. So those are some of the things that, that are out there, but you know, other lines, I mean, flood insurance, again, I think everybody needs it. More properties are, are required. Uh, you have your general liability, your slip fall, your bodily injury, you know, if you get sued, um, you got your umbrella coverage, which goes above and beyond, you know, if you have your own software company and you're holding uh, resident information, you know, we've seen things come up where cyber attacks. So your cyber insurance that that's built in there. Also for your investors, or if you have a board of directors, you know, you have your directors and officers, your professional liability your reps and warrants. So these are all different things that go into play, but your typical is going to be your property, your general liability, and the umbrellas with the, the letters got to require. And under that, you know, what are we actually covering? Mm-hmm. Good information. Yeah. And then, you know, there's some groups that, you know, we're starting seeing that the investors, they, they want to make sure because when we're presenting the OM out there, right? So we're representing and we understand it's a risk and, but we're able to share based on, you know, our past experiences on performance on what we're able to do and understanding that, you know, again, it's a risk, you know, and, and on there, you know, you can, we've been not a wood successful on getting great returns, but also, you know, 
it's almost like with, with the the realtors, the brokers that you're dealing with. Some investor groups are looking for you know for those that are uh, raising money to have call in errors and emissions or malpractice insurance um, to cover them, just to make sure that that what you're presenting to me to invest in is actually there. And that's, that's a safeguard. And we've been seeing that the last couple of years, um, folks have been looking for that more and more. It's not cheap, you know, but it, it's again, as you're doing more and more stuff, you can look for, and talking about like newbies, I kind of joke around when somebody calls and, and like they reach out and they want to quote, I haven't quoted anything in like 15 years. Right. And so like, they're so hung up on, again, watching the Geico commercials, like, listen, you're buying a like multi-million dollar property, right? There's a lot of things that go into play. You're not sure when it was built, you know, uh, when it was updated, if there's aluminum wiring and believe it or not, in this day and age, it's still properties that have aluminum wiring, even though it was supposed to be replaced back in the seventies. Um, but there's things that come up, right. And we can do our best to kind of estimate on based on the market. And, uh, what we're seeing to kind of get an idea on the rates, but like, listen, it's not, I'm going to make a phone call and get a quote in 15 minutes. It's not happening. And the underwriters won't look at the property until you actually are in contract, the contract signed, you know, you actually did your due diligence and we're able to, uh, get the info that is needed so they can actually underwrite the property and get us a firm, firm, firm quote. Um, some solid information. Yeah. It's like Donato didn't make it back on. No, you might be having the same issues. I'm on. I'm on my phone. Like I have a camera here, and like, like but I'm I'm looking at my yeah. phone, so it looks a little weird. I'm sorry. No, it does that. Yeah, it's good. We just take turns every week having problems. You know. <laughs> yeah, there's always something. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things you know working with Lisa over the years and and the folks with multi capital partners and multi family mindset. You know, we really developed. Uh, a risk management strategy. You know, we looked at analyzing the properties, what we've done in the past, be able to really share that with the underwriters in, in the markets and, you know, trying to educate everybody. You know, I made a commitment for the folks that are in the group that are reaching out is, you know, even if I can't help them directly uh, as far as placing it, like, cause right now I'm just doing consulting and advising work, but like, if they have questions, we're here to help them understand what to look for when they're going out to the local agent broker, if that's who they're using, you know, to understand because there's, Lisa knows, I mean, what I left Marsh, I mean, I called a bunch of agencies just to see who would be good for us to place business with on future acquisitions. And, um, a lot of people don't know their stuff. There's a handful out there. There's quite a few, uh, folks and, you know, a couple of you, their own podcasts and very knowledgeable. Uh, and, and a great resource and really understand. And, you know, those are the folks that you want to be able to use, but, you know, we looked at it, um, and having the right people on the team and understand when, you know, a person's giving you advice based upon, you know, that's, that's their thing, um, that, you know, take into consideration and don't try to tell me that, you know, we have a $20 million property. We only want to insure for five because like, Hey, we're not going to have to fire all the buildings. It's right. That's not how it Yeah, it's not how it works. But um, you know, yeah, but I, if you have somebody, you have some like relationships. If you have somebody like Nico who 
I mean, you proved over and over how much you actually cared about us. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think a lot of your clients, um, because when you couldn't, it, you, you know, stopped working for that company and you couldn't even represent us anymore, you could have just said, well, you know, good luck to you and, you know, whatever. But you actually spent a lot of hours, a lot of time and effort finding us somebody that you could hand us to because you didn't want us to just go off to just anyone. And then you found us Cameron Stewart. And a lot of people are, you know, he's Cameron now, but he's been great. And, but, and, and, like, like I said earlier, like, so you got, you got spoiled. So, you know, I definitely went above and beyond what, what the, what the typical yeah. brokers have done, but, you know, yeah. working on, and this is having somebody on your team too, to make sure that your schedule of values on the properties is updated and realistic. And you're getting updates from your property management company and updates are being done. You have your schedules for when the HVAC systems were, were done and electrical. Those are all things that you want to be able to keep track. I mean, Adam, going back market research and data, 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 data is helpful on our business, right? Because it's all about numbers. And hey, you know, when you start diversifying in your multiple states, like kind of know, especially when claims come up that it's being handled and, and, and being done. But, you know, there's some folks that are out there, but typically, you know, and Cameron's great. Cameron's been a great resource, um, you know, being able to, you know, he's been able to get stuff placed. Um, <laughs> it's on my end, be able to like negotiate with a broker, like, cause I understand what's going on. Like, oh, I need you to go back to your underwriter and like push for this. And this is what we've been able to do in the past. And this is kind of what we need. And, uh, you know, and doing that, and there's only so much pushing you, you, you can do um, on it because it comes down to, you know, everybody's, you know, looking at, you know, gold wall risk and the cost. And again, we try our best to get it down and we just have to be, you know, realistic on, on some of it. But if you're underwriting a deal and the numbers are tight and you think by saving a dollar more on the insurance is going to make the deal, like that, that that's not it. You should not like. The insurance should not make or break a deal, um, even though it's breaking deals in Texas right now. But really, you know, give yourself that that cushion. And again, your Geico commercials are not geared towards commercial property. Like it's not your, it's not your auto. Our sponsor would not let us do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Just like put it up, put it up. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, getting good guidance. Well, that's the thing is you have to you have to make sure that you that you underwrite it with higher insurance costs, and if it comes in lower, great. But what we learned the hard way so many times is that you're not actually getting like Nico said he's not going to give you a quote. Um, he can give you an idea, but you don't actually get the actual the quote until you're close to closing. By then, you're in it. You can't get out. You've got non-refundable money. You've got investor money. You're stuck. So it's really tough. And that's the situation we ran and why we underinsured. It's not a good excuse or reason, but that's what happens is we were, you know, it was too tight. So the lesson on that is make sure that you are way high on insurance costs at the, from the front end. And that way, and it'll protect you on the, on the back end. Well, so on, on that one case where we ended up replacing it lower. So we were in line for what we estimated for insurance, but it was the other factors that came in into play that would have reduced the, the loan proceeds. So it was like, well, what can you do? And it's like, well, we're gonna go to insurance, reduce it. I'm like, you can't. 
So, but like, you know, to get the, yeah. get the deal to work, I mean, ultimately, I mean, I think insurance and risk management, but they're definitely critical components of, of any real estate investment strategy, you know, and as rates continue to increase and the big thing is as far as like replacement costs are severely lacking behind what the current market is and the insurance carriers are pushing for them higher because listen, you can't rebuild an apartment multifamily property for $50 a square foot, 70, a hundred, like it's, it's not happening. I mean, it's realistic. I mean, if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot, look how much is she applied, what it is like. So, you know, getting those kind of in line um, to market values, uh, it's going to be more important for investors to really work with, you know, enchanted advisors to really have the experience to make your team feel confident and, and up to date as far as what they're going on and that the properties are adequately insured. Um, and you have a great coverage in place, like comprehensive, like you got, you know, again, we can't insure for everything. And insurance is just a tool that's there. And, you know, knowing on, you know, what we want to self-insure, how much risk that we're able to take on. So, you know, those all, all great things. I appreciate, you know, having an opportunity to come on and share. So. Thank you. Yeah. We loved having you. Do we want to jump into trivia? Yeah. And no, no more final pressing questions. No, that was great. I think think you were very thorough. Yeah. We might get, if we have any questions from students though, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, reach out to share your right contact info to make sure they reach out to me at the right one. Um, that's there, but, um, you know, looking at it, just again, sharing the, the experience that we have and if you have several different portfolios and you really need to have a, a risk manager on, but you can't have one on, you know, I'm doing that as far as outsource and just, we can do it, look at each project or we can look at it on an annual basis. All right. What's the trivia? <laughs> on to the commercial multifamily lion's den trivia time. Okay. So for the first question. Economic vacancy takes into account both physical vacancy and units that are occupied but not generating rental income. This definition of vacancy takes into consideration the fact that some occupied units may not be generating rental income due to factors such as renovations, tenant turnover, or temporary market conditions. According to CoStar, in quarter two of 2020, the economic vacancy rate was 9.2%. What is the national economic vacancy rate for multifamily properties in the United States as of quarter three, 2021? 2021? Quarter was, yeah, yeah, what quarter was quarter, that? You said in 2020, quarter, that was at nine. Three. 2020 was quarter two, and now it's a little yeah. over a year later at quarter three, 21. Was 9.2 is the vacancy rate? I don't think that it got economic. a lot better. I don't think it, I think it got worse. Yeah, um, I'm going to say about the same. I'm going to say nine. I'm going to say 12 and a half. 12 and a half. Nikki, you got, you got a rough answer? Government agencies started We're all guessing. Don't worry about it. We're all I'm, guessing. I'm, I'm going to say 6.8%. Did you Google that? No, I pulled up chat GBT. You're not allowed to do that. That's what, that's what? what, that's what our guest last time did. Well, I mean, as, um, Seven point six percent. Wait, which I think quarter he was closest. It was quarter three of twenty twenty one, and it's uh, economic vacancy, not just physical. 
Okay, so then in my opinion, if it went down, then it was because government agencies started helping out a lot of people that weren't paying. Because in 2021, we still had a lot of people not paying rent. But government agencies started kicking in and paying it, so that helped a lot. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean, yeah, taking account the whole pandemic with all that, right? So we had supply chain issues at time. A lot of people um, stopped working. The eviction moratoriums were going to play. Uh, like yeah. said, the government programs. Okay. Next question. No Googling. Uh, <laughs> no Google. Lead-based paint is a type of paint that contains Ooh, high that. levels of lead, a toxic metal that can cause serious health problems if ingested or inhaled. Lead-based paint was commonly used in homes and other buildings before it was banned in what year? 1965. 1978. Real estate. It might have been later. 1979. I think it was 78, but I know like as a kid, like we used to bite. I mean, my crib had like lead paint on it and we used to chew on. That's what's wrong with all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, listen, like a a thermometer broke, right? And so here we are on the floor playing around with the mercury. Like we didn't know back then. Oh my God. Um, I know, right? But... Let's say, I'll say 78. Lisa say 79. No, I said 78. And then I, I questioned I myself, it. but it's 70. Yeah, it's it 78. Is, it is 78. I was Over thinking, I think of when they were using it a lot, well, not when so, they found it. Listen, <laughs> cheer, cheers to the Gen Xers that, you know, we chewed on the windowsills with lead paint. We all have health problems. That's hey, All right. You know, but, you know I, maybe it just made you think I know why now. No. I don't think it did. I hey, know I, if I would have gotten that wrong, though, I've been a broker for 20 years. That's like one of the first things that you learn. Right. Right. Hey, back in the day, we used to play down in the basement and hang off the pipes on the ceiling and didn't know like the white stuff coating it was asbestos. Like, who knew? Right. Yeah. Lots of stuff. All right. Final question. Now we're, we're dating ourselves. According to the National Fire Protection Association, what percentage of reported multifamily residential building fires in 2019 were caused by cooking equipment? This is kind of an insurance question. Hmm, that's a good one. In 2019? Yeah, 2019. 75. 37. 35. Oh, gosh. 35. Oh, wow. I'm way off. I'll say 55. It's got to be at least a third fire. Seems like it would be a lot. Okay, I saw so. a commercial recently that said, like, it was a high number that most of them are caused by the kitchen. Cooking equipment was the leading cause of reported multifamily residential building fires in 2019, accounting for 33% of these fires. Danica was very close. Wow. Yes. Good job. Almost like you do this for a living. Almost like he doesn't. Right. I saw like 75%. <laughs> Hey, listen, I just look like like attorneys, right? 33.3% to like 33, <laughs> like third, third, third. Yeah. Nico wins. Thank you so <laughs> much for got... coming on, Nico. Yeah. Thank where can you. people contact you? The, uh, I, we, we can share my, my email and, and phone, probably email. Yeah, I'll put fast. it in the description. Yeah. But I mean, really, it's, it's been a pleasure. And I mean, it's the honor has been mine, you know, working with, with, you know, well, with model Lisa for, you know, 14, we've gone on 15 years and starting off the small ones and, you know, going through, and I got to see her grow, 
with her portfolio and she's got to see me grow as far as with my experience and you know working with yeah. global brokerages and with some big investors on it and be able to to share i mean i'm very passionate i love hey listen i'm a geek i love properties like all different forms <laughs> and kind of looking at it and it's a different perspective because like even when we're going out looking at stuff it's uh you know it's just having different eyes and that's why you have different people on your team so uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. And I can't wait to see you as a person again. Thank you, Nika. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think need value from today's episode. What obstacles are you facing? Let us know in the comment section below, and we'll get to it in a future podcast. If you're interested in passively investing with us, you can go to am-multifamily.com or you can email Fia, am-multifamily.com. Those links will be in the show description, along with the Lion's Den Facebook page and website. Thank you, and have a roaring day. Yeah.